Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chatting to Rini Mattage was the perfect wrap-up to season six. We find Rini in a moment of flux in their practice looking differently at the world, their work, and the relationships they hold close. There's a change of pace, intention, and visual language brewing for the artist who has literally not stopped making work since they first picked up a camera five years ago. For me, this is what this podcast is all about, to talk about those moments when the path is unclear, when we're not sure what's next, when things are out of flow or uncomfortable, And Rini is so generous in letting us into one of those moments as they approach a sort of changing state. We dig into all of this alongside talking about friendship, love, being with each other, tiredness, optimism, nationalism and patriotism, and above all, rudeness, which is a guiding principle of their practice. I talk about rudeness in my work, which is really like this idea of existing in between. Bell Hooks kind of talks about it when she talks about this idea of talking back. Like it's very similar to being rude. I think she calls it the subversive potential of being out of place. I'm Jen Fletcher and you're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. Rini Mattage is a London-based artist and writer whose practice spans across photography, film and sculpture converging in the meeting place they describe as rudeness and evidencing and honouring of the in-between. Rini has exhibited widely in both solo shows at the South London Gallery, Chapter New York and the Martin Parr Foundation, as well as group shows at the Leslie Lohman Gallery and Arl. Their work is in several prominent collections, including Tate, Foundation Louis Vuitton, Arts Council and the Walker Art Gallery in Liverpool. Rini is represented by Arcadia Missa. My first encounter with your work in a gallery context was Dreaming of Home, the exhibition at the Leslie Lohman Gallery in New York, which took Kathy Opie's iconic self-portrait cutting as this springboard to talk about the comforts and complications of queer and trans domestic life. Mm. I wanted to start by talking about what does home mean to you? Gemma Rosbenny, who curated the show, was asking this kind of of all of us, and I think that the conclusion was really that home is and is not, you know, kind of everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like this thing that can exist within the self and moves with you, hopefully. But I think, yeah, it's something that can, I don't know, expand as we expand and like kind of collapse and yeah, be like built up again a thousand times, um, even in one day so I'm not really sure necessarily what it means to me because it could mean a lot of different things at any given moment you know and kind of related to that I wanted to ask you about Peterborough which is kind of where your first home was Mm. and where you grew up and I was curious like I know you include your family in some of your work but I was curious how Peterborough itself sort of informs your artistic life if it does in any way 
Yeah. You know, it was only really recently that I decided to look at Peterborough because I felt like I had dismissed it a little bit, as I think a lot of us do from our hometowns. You know, we think we kind of get to, I don't know, kind of jaded by it. And we, our goal is to leave and Mm. we leave it behind. And I feel like when I had a show at South London Gallery, September, October last year, because of the work that I was making for that, it kind of forced me to return to thinking about the role that Peterborough has and had in my story. And like, yeah, I think actually I've learned to be incredibly grateful for it. And recently I've been thinking a lot, because I talk about rudeness in my work, which is really like this idea of existing in between and getting, I don't know, Bell Hooks kind of talks about it when she talks about this idea of talking back. Like it's very similar to being rude. I think she calls it like the subversive potential of being out of place and I've been thinking a lot about Peterborough as that because it's in the East Midlands and when you google the Midlands it says like disambiguation next to it because it's so ambiguous that in different contexts it has to be disambiguated like picked apart almost you know and I was thinking about the Midlands and Peterborough as actually this quite blessed place where it's so ambiguous that anything can kind of go but with that is the complexity of like, I always say like all of the above and all of the below, like things that I would consider positive, but also things that I would consider negative as well, I guess, like politically speaking. So that for me as home, it says a lot because it's like, yeah, home, I think in the sense of what we are given or the, the home that we're like almost burdened with, it holds all of that nuance and all of that kind of, chaos of good and bad and like heaven and hell and I think that maybe the goal is to yeah I don't know I actually think the goal is just to be okay with that and settle within it but yeah Peterborough is it's an incredible place and my family are all all still there all loving it living it and you know I can't deny that it's a huge part of who I am I always think there's something so powerful when you get to that stage where you can revisit the place you tried to escape from and you can sort of, I don't know, it's not necessarily about making amends, but it's like grappling with everything that you felt or that you, I don't know, squashed down and buried under the carpet, like all of that good stuff. It it feels like such a marker to work through that, right? Yeah, exactly. I think basically I just had this realisation of like, how dare I, you know? How dare I think that like this is a place that doesn't deserve me looking back at it and like it's still existing from it in some kind of way because I don't know I just think it's full of of all I don't I don't know what I'm trying to say I I, I kind of I think I'm still grappling with it because it is still have that like anxiety of going back you know it's Christmas soon so we'll all be returning maybe to the places that we came from which is actually such a strange sentence (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) to return to the place that we came from is like ooh, you know we can all kind of give each other that like nod of how loaded that is but I think as queer people as well it, it often for many of us can hold even more complicated feelings yeah depending on what our experience was growing up and the level of acceptance we received from the people who cared for us or therefore didn't or didn't care for us so there's just something in that as well that I feel like people can be constantly or we can be constantly 
wrestling with and it's never quite settled it's never quite safe Mm. and the body never forgets it's like totally you can do as much work as you want in your head and your heart to to find some kind of peace but it seems like the body never forgets how it felt at different times in different places and so yeah I guess to return to what home is it's kind of recognizing that and avoiding putting the self through that like I don't know reactionary like thing that trigger I suppose I was wondering how much your work or your practice has become a home for you because I love the way that you talk about your practice being a mirror a kind of archive Mm. and evidence of the people that you love and Mm -hmm. one element that is getting more and more prominent is this sort of traversing between the public and private realms of your loved ones like your universe yeah if you like and uh, and I was curious what it means for you to make that work and if intimacy is really crucial to your practice Mm -hmm. I mean I think it's like intimacy is crucial to my being Mm -hmm. I'm a a cancer (laughs) so uh, you know I really prioritize intimacy in my life I need it to survive and so it is like intrinsically linked to the practice it's like intimacy as a practice I suppose and yeah the ways in which I honor that I suppose has been through like attempting to image it in some ways I think in terms of being from Peterborough actually like as soon as I found art it immediately made things better because it was like I can create this dreamland I can it's like another Midland almost, you know, like the other day, I I think what I'm saying about the Midlands is that I adore this like idea of many Midlands, many islands, many like moments in which you can exist in. And I, and I think that that's what my work does for me. It like creates different homes and different like spaces. And also it just acts as like a little reminder. And a, like I said, yeah, many times just an evidencing of a kind of truth that I'm living and that we are living in a world that doesn't want us to be so truthful, I think. Truth is a really guiding principle for you, right? Which sounds like a stupid thing to say, but in the context of the world we live in, it actually is quite radical (laughs) now. (laughs) I know, it's silly, isn't it? It's crazy to think of it like that. It's mad, but it does feel like so important, along with rudeness, which I just love as like Mm -hmm. a manifesto, but truth feels really important. Yeah, well, I think that rudeness comes along with being truthful because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're maybe showing or saying or having discussions that people are not wanting you to have and that can come across as quite rude you know it's like an interruption it's like Farah Ahmed's the feminist snap or like ruining the dinner party you know Mm. that kind of thing that we as humans especially as British people we kind of have this goal of politeness I suppose and actually like there's not much truth in that sometimes I think but yeah it's definitely a guiding force because I don't know so much and I don't understand so much and I think that that's always my goal in my work is to try and figure something out I might not land on like the exact truth necessarily but maybe multiple truths but it's always because I don't understand something don't understand what this existence is or why it's treated in the way that it is you know by many different people yeah it's interesting you talk about that tension because I think One of the things that resonated for me and continues to resonate for me whenever I encounter your work is this sort of palpable sense of relationships and bonds being 
a protective force against the struggle, mm. which I think, you know, as a queer person, uh, I really love that. I love that reminder. Mm-hmm. I love that reminder not to take my own sort of protective force not for granted and it just felt so liberating as a viewer Mm. I think when I saw it at the Leslie Lone show thank you yeah that wasn't really a question it was more just my (laughs) an observation that's nice it's nice to hear because obviously like you know I have this constant worry and I I think so much about the gaze within my work and the audience and what that means and the different almost violence that can come with people looking. And so when it lands on a gaze that is a safe one, it's always really nice to hear about. (laughs) Is that something that you've had to grapple with more as your work has become further sort of Mm. supported by the institution? Oh, dude, yeah. It's like, yeah, I think that that's where I feel a bit like I'm struggling a little bit. I think I've struggled with the work since, Probably like, yeah, since probably the South London Gallery show, which was my first institutional show. And then it being up at Tate, which is really so sick, but it does come with like this thing of like, yeah, wanting to keep the stories and the people and the images safe. And I can't do that that as well, you know, if Mm. it's going far and wide, which is really confusing. And I think it's meaning that I'm questioning definitely definitely questioning my photography practice a lot more now like I've would say that I've put the camera down for a minute just to have a bit of a pause on a reflect on what I'm doing now and how that changes and how can I continue to do what I want to do and love and what I love doing but whilst yeah remaining protective you know of like you said before the intimacies. Is that something that happens also in dialogue with your collaborators or is that something that you're just really conscious of in the minute with I guess Mm. your rising success I think I'm just really conscious of it I can't I just always want to remember who I you know with the the book the flags for countries that don't exist but bodies that do but like when I look back at that I'm like wow this was kind of like a, a youth culture moment and obviously all of us are growing up now and I've got a huge archive and documentation of all of us growing up with that growing up means that we are have jobs and we're like you know I don't know there's less there's less moments for intimacy with each other because there's less time for I guess rest and relaxation and so I think actually I'm noticing that not having a camera is actually maybe before it was it felt like what I could do to give back and now I think removing the camera is what I can do (laughs) from my friends. That's so interesting isn't it because especially when the counter your sort of profession is making work in those intimate sort of rest points as you say with your friends and and loved ones but that's their downtime it's it's like an interesting tension. I think it is. It's like, you know, I worry. I I was reading a book the other day. I can't remember who it was by. I'm rubbish at names. But um, it was saying that, like, you know, in the culture that we live in, if something is an image, then it almost ceases to exist. And there's that worry, you know. And I think that that's why I started taking pictures anyway, which is where we come back to, like, the evidencing and the archiving. I think also what I never expected was for the images to be shown yet. You know, my coming to loving photography was because these are images 
they're all images of you know the past of like a nostalgia or a time that I didn't live through almost and I always thought that my images will um sure that they will become that eventually but it also means that I don't have to show them now I can continue to take the pictures but it doesn't mean that I have to show them you know I was saying the other day I was doing a lecture at Central St Martins where I studied and I was saying that I feel a little bit like a show and not grow up <laughs> like I, I want to yeah it's good to take a step back it doesn't mean that the practice itself has to stop which is quite feels quite powerful I think it just means that I don't have to sh- have to you know show anybody <laughs> yeah it's totally it's actually a totally radical stance because I think mm. you know obviously culturally and from a capitalist point of view we're just constantly driven to produce produce but I think yeah. especially you know in that first 10 years of your practice like you're figuring everything out things are changing yeah. all the time like and then to ha- to sort of layer that with really you know fantastic opportunities and success like mm. you sort of end up feeling the pressure to keep that level up yeah and it's so silly because it's yeah. like I think that what I recognize is you know I've been very fortunate to be where I am at this age but it also means that there's a lacking in like there could be a lack in time for me to to play around you know and like I should be able to fuck up a little bit and make mistakes and do that privately mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what artists need to be able to do in order to create you know good work we need to like have a bit of stickiness yeah. in that and I think that that's why I talk about truth a lot because you know that's what I think is a way of removing I don't know yeah being allowed to fuck up because at the end of the day it's just the truth yeah the messy truth (laughs) (laughs) it is though isn't it it's not like it's not even just fucking up and like failing it's also just allowing yourself time yeah we don't allow ourselves time and the world moves so quick that it is a radical care gesture for yourself as much as it is for you as an artist it's so important definitely I mentor a lot of like young artists and and graduating artists and and the rush Mm. to be out of the gate is like so intense and I get oh my God, it like it's getting this... so much more intense for the kids coming out of school truly yeah. yeah because they see you know they see the Tyler Mitchells they see different people like hitting it and yeah. at 25 and that is an enormous amount of pressure to put on yourself I remember like when I was in college there wasn't really any pressure to like find your creative flow until you're about 30 it was like you no, give yourself no. a grace period of a decade or something yeah but that's that's really decreased now. I mean, some people are so successful, like while they're in college, which is yeah. Well, I kind of had a little bit of that when I was at uni, and I think that I was probably kind of like that first wave of yeah, that really weird <laughs> uh, rush to to make it. But I think that that also comes from I don't know being from a working class background and knowing that this is really all I could do mm-hmm. and I needed to monetize it ASAP you know and that's yeah. quite gross when we talk about work and art but it's the truth so yeah whatever. it's survival is important right yeah exactly but it's also then we have to continue that survival and yeah taking time but obviously time is a huge privilege so it's complicated it's just about figuring out how to get that and I think that you know spending time with loved ones especially in the queer community is a big part of that and so do I do I really want to make that a job you know Mm. do I want to monetize that 
yeah. that time uh, with having a camera. No, I want to recognise what's in front of me at all times. And I think that as it's so brilliant, a lot of it. Um, and that's really nice. It's like a meditation almost for myself and my friends. But yeah, as they say, maybe, maybe it should be as private as possible. So we'll see about that. But I don't know. It feels exciting at the same time to be making that shift because it does feel like growth. Yeah, and obviously somehow I found the time to think about it. <laughs> Talk a little bit about flags for countries that don't exist, but bodies that do. Because I'm yeah. curious about the genesis of that, because it's an amazing project. It's an incredible book. How did that begin? It just began by me picking up our 35 millimeter for the first time. And not. I basically didn't really, I think I subconsciously, I don't know, was doing what I know that I'm doing now before I wasn't necessarily sure about it. It was just really, it was, I think so. I, I always say like, I, I wasn't the most academic person, and but still have like quite a love for learning and history. And I think that my way of doing that was through images and that's what excited me. And then eventually I think for nostalgic or like, for not, maybe not for nostalgia, but for some kind of recognition that I could be part of that canon and that timeline that I was so obsessed with. So especially subcultural timelines. I started taking my own pictures, but I didn't have, yeah, like a goal to show them necessarily. I didn't really know what they were. And then Roja from Arcadia Missa, uh, I showed her one day and she was like, this is the thing. And I was like, wow, I kind of just ex- thought it was kind of like research almost, mm-hmm. um, like to be immersed in a thing. And then, yeah, when Roja said that it was work, I was like, okay, let's see how that feels. And then we did a show in 2021 and we, yeah, that was, we put it all into a book and it kind of felt like, I think when I showed her, I'd put, I'd printed them all out and put them in like um, just a generic like family photo album. And I guess the book is just that really, it's, family photo album but it means something and that's interesting I think that's what I didn't expect to show the photos in real time that it would mean something I thought maybe it was just a thing to look back on but actually it was like a standing still and looking at what is happening right now and a lot of it is just yeah kids love and like yeah being in love and being with each other and I think that that maybe was something that was needed it came out like was it lockdown no must have been just after lockdown yeah and I think that that was a real the reason why it was quite popular was because of that I think because of that like yearning to see people enjoying each other and like being together and bodies touching was like felt rare and weird (laughs) and I think that it was yeah a really good timing for that book and that work to come out yeah I love Hannah Black's intro in the book. Oh my God, it's crazy. It's brilliant. I am such a nerd for book intros and so many of them are so shit. It was so validating to me because all we, all I, as I said, I didn't know what this work was and we just gave the pictures to Hannah and she kind of did her thing and it was like, oh fuck. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) It was the perfect companion. And I love that line where... Hannah says there is no backstage in love it just felt like the absolute embodiment of that project on one level it was just absolutely I think that that's what's interesting and about how time changes though because it's like now I'm I'm wondering if there there should be a backstage maybe you Mm -hmm. know Um, but that's not that's because of the way that the world has changed in this time Mm. and the way that my world has changed and our worlds are, are changing so 
yeah, it's it's and that's why the chapter show, chapter New York, which is the last time I'll, it was, it's like basically the flags series is every image that I've ever taken really so far, and I think that yeah, with the chapter show, I decided that twenty twenty three is the end of that series to give myself space to think about what photos look like going forward but mostly what love looks like going forward because there's been shift in like relationships and romantic and platonic relationships and you know I think I realized that that series captures a real moment in a really beautiful moment in my life that has shifted and that doesn't mean that you know things aren't going to be beautiful going forward but I definitely wanted to like yeah have give it its 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 moment and not and not let it change and fizzle out too much so yeah that's over now which is sad that show at chapter is like almost like the perfect ending it's called kiss them from me yeah tell us about the significance of this particular chapter because it is it while it's all connected there is a departure like feeling wise in in that body of work in at the chapter gallery yeah I think there's a bit of a tiredness you know I think that's I think that series is got quite a lot of optimism even though there's lots of images of like England and that it's it's really about nationalism and patriotism um and how we can find that within our own communities whilst being in like (laughs) a country that wouldn't necessarily say that they're a nationalist for us you know it's like Mm -hmm. we're a nationalist for each other and so there's a lot of optimism within that series and then all of a sudden it felt like I was a bit tired of being optimistic a bit like the weight of it all is maybe it was just a bit too heavy this year to be able to keep keep it up you know Mm. in that in that way and I think that the photos that I chose and there's not actually that many photos in the show you know there's the queen's death uh there's yeah there's flowers for the queen and then there's also a vigil for Brianna Gay who was a trans girl that was murdered last year I think it was and then within that we have like Glastonbury and yeah more intimate moments and like there's a bit of like sex and like dressing up and I don't know there's it's all of it it's like I always say because of the tattoo on my back born British die British it always feels like that could be the title for every single work I make and it kind of gives this birthing and death life cycle that happens thousand thousand times and then on the opposite end of the gallery is a picture of my eyes that's kind of out of focus where I'm looking a bit a bit confused and a bit tired (laughs) and I think I'm just looking at the work and I guess looking at also the audience looking at the work going kiss them from me you know giving something away a little bit a little bit a little bit I don't know it's like there's a a lot of grief going on with that show because of because of a lovely beautiful relationship that I have that is still going but has ended in lots of different ways but I think with that relationship shifting the work had to shift as well because the love from which I'm looking through the world at is different now and yeah as I say back to the truth thing I can't deny that I'm looking differently. It's such a powerful show. There was so much in it for me. I mean, you're talking about that close-up of your eyes, which is yeah. such a disarming image and used in such a fascinating way in terms of playing with the gaze in the space. But I keep also seeing it on my Instagram 
People oh my keep God, posting people it. People really like it, yeah. People love it. <laughs> but it has, even like on social, I feel like it has that really intense presence of like suddenly you're looking back at me mm-hmm. in a really intense way. And I think there's something about the framing, it being so immersive, but the soft focus as well. I don't know, there's mm. something so disruptive about it. And it made me start to think about what your relationship is like being in front of the camera because you've always yeah. been in your work in various different ways. I mean, that p- particular picture feels like something different's happening, but I was mm. curious, yeah, what is your relationship with being in front of the camera? I I mean, that's also another thing because the relationship that I was in, I'm in, <laughs> basically my wife is the person who... I who has been with me behind the camera in front of the camera and also has been the person taking the pictures of me in the flag series our relationship has changed now it's still very beautiful and we're still very much together but platonically more than romantically I don't know we're trying to like coin a term for it because actually there is romance in this it's just it's all very queer you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah but I that has changed now that's me taking a picture of myself for the first time in the flag series you know and that's also like oh okay I have to take a picture of I have to take the pictures of myself now what does that mean rather than like I would say to Max uh like oh Max can you take a picture of me doing this you know now it's difficult it takes Mm. longer it's harder and imaging the self is like yeah loaded in many different ways so I think for that I always say as well, though, like, I, I wanted... So, yeah, I'm in front of the camera and I'm behind it and I'm also it. <laughs> but going forward, yeah, I think it's strange thinking about how I would... Ha- I, I'm really much more in control of the image of myself now. So, yeah, it's, it's spooky. I'm just, like, I'm in a weird phase. I'm in a weird place with life and also photography, which is, yeah, and also work itself. But I always just wanted to say, I always say, like, I wanted everyone to remember that it was me who was looking when I took these photos, you know, that I wanted to that find a way to somehow insert myself in front of the audience, like a protection of the mm. pictures themselves. And I think that that picture of me is, yeah, like the first time that I very loudly <laughs> expressed that in the gallery space, you know, that I'm here this is my my eyes that you should be looking through and I think yeah that comes from me trying to like really grapple with that protection of the people in the work and myself also I can't believe that's your first like true (laughs) self-portrait yeah I mean I guess I always say that like you know the pictures of me anyway are because I've asked for them to be taken and I've set at the shot and like I know what I want a thing to look like but that one yeah was the first one that I'd like turned Actually, that's not true. There is one of me where I'm crying and it's like a, you can, there's actually loads of me where you can see the camera, like, you know, like a classic selfie in the mirror mm. with the camera. But that one's, yeah, one that I've like, I don't know, it's different, I guess. It hits different for me. It's interesting hearing you talk about the weight of this exhibition mm. and and what it means to you sort of personally and professionally, because I while I really feel some of those elements in the show there's also this I mean we started off talking about this this sort of dichotomy Mm. in your work of like 
truth and and joy and challenge and like all of these like opposing forces like come together in different variations and different intersections but there's also a really sensorial quality of the work in this show which I feel like has always been in the work but there's something Mm. about this work which feels more distinct I think whether we're thinking about that self-portrait we were just talking about Mm. or like the image of Aries dancing there's something about your visual language that is in I don't well, know it I, feels like we're shift is shifting in real exactly, time exactly exactly and I think that that's also a reason for change for stopping the series because I my relationship with photography is becoming like stronger and I understand it a lot more and I understand the way in which I want to show a thing and that wasn't the case in the series before because I was kind of just like a person with a camera and now it feels like I'm a person with, I don't know, more of an agenda maybe, or I don't know. I think my eye has changed as I've grown up with this camera now. And I think you can tell that from this show. There's like definitely more of a softness and more of a, I don't know, it's like paired back almost, or there's more of an understanding, I think. And so that is, yeah, part of my my thinking and shift and moving and all of the rest. Yeah, but there's, I think it almost feels a bit quieter, maybe. Yeah, yeah, mm. I get that. There's almost a sense of like pause in the moment, like you're yeah. really holding that moment, where which I, I guess you kind of were before, but there was a sense of like, there's a different sense of pace, I think, mm, mm. in the images. I think there's a lot of movement in the other images. Mm. And this, and whilst it's a picture of Aries dancing, there's something about it that is really like, like it holds your breath almost. Yeah, exactly. It feels yeah. like you're slowing down time in yeah. that image. It doesn't feel static, yeah. but it's not that sort of fast-paced like movement yeah. shot that we're used to. I don't know. Like I said, there's not. I I haven't got a great language for it, but there's there's definitely something remarkable in that in that picture. Yeah, I really love. I really love that picture so much and I love the one of my eyes and I love and I'm just like okay so I don't know I'm like forming an opinion of the way that the images are now I think and that wasn't the case before it was very much about like what the scenario was what the memory was you know and now I think maybe I'm saying I can control what the memory looks like a bit more Mm -hmm. maybe that means that I'm not being truthful (laughs) well how I read it was sort of like you're trying to convey how you feel through the visual language. Yeah. There's yeah. a sense of that's what it gave to me. That's it, yeah. And I think that sometimes that's easy to do and sometimes it's not easy to do. Sometimes you, an image comes back from being developed and you're like, oh, that's it. That's how I am or was feeling. Thank you. Thank you past me you know, <laughs> <laughs> for doing that. That's the best thing about photography, working with film photography specifically is that it's a gift it's like a gift from the past self it's like almost like um a letter that's been like lost and then Mm. retrieved it kind of feels like that but yeah I love it I love photography so much I'm just falling really in love with it in a different way that's all falling in love with lots of things in different ways so I'm sure that that will come out in yeah future works Do you think about like the lineage of the work or the work being in conversation with any other artists? Mm, I mean, obviously there's like a lot of people that I admire, but I don't think 
I don't know. I read a lot and I think that influences me hugely. So I guess that's a conversation. It's like a response to the things that I'm encountering and putting in my brain. And But mostly it's about the relationship with the country, I think. I don't know. Do you, do, what do you think about that? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I feel, I feel like people, I, I've spoken to Kathy Opie, ironically, yeah. about this quite a lot because people tend to like pigeonhole queer artists as like, just putting us in our little group and so like I'm sure Nan Golden's been said a million times to you (laughs) yeah I mean I Um, fucking love Nan Golden for sure yeah I do think that actually you know I was talking to Clifford Prince King about this on the podcast for the Dreaming of Home exhibition we were talking about like how actually the work that you know we originally found when we were young in places like Peterborough or wherever Clifford's from these midlands that are all over you know, they weren't queer. We mm-hmm. loved them, but they weren't necessarily queer. And they weren't, they definitely weren't black. And, you know, I think that I will always, you know, a lot, a big part of the work that, you know, the why I'm taking pictures is because of people like Gavin Watson, who's subculture photographer, who's like, you know, hugely, or I, he has I'd taken a photo of me before for a work that I made called Destination Departure of the picture of my tattoo. And I asked him to take that picture so that I could put myself in the work, you know, in his archive that I loved so greatly Mm. but couldn't necessarily see myself in. So I think that maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel too pigeonholed, actually. But I don't know if that's because of being of the intersections and people not and like institutions and people not being able to hold those intersections, you know, it's either you're black or you're queer, not necessarily that you're black and queer. Mm. <laughs> so I think, or I could, but, or yeah, you know, it's like pigeonholed in many different ways at different times. But yeah, I don't think that the work, because that's what I love about this series is the photography series is that I can make lots of different stories from it when I show them on walls mm-hmm. so obviously we like the series itself they're not all, n- all necessarily haven't been shown but the ones that have have been shown in many different configurations and that's how I go uh-uh like you can't make sense of this you know that's brilliant that's where the rudeness comes in don't make sense of it yeah I've heard you talk about being a fan of Legacy Russell's glitch feminism before oh yeah. yeah which yeah. I adore but also that concept sort of speaks to rudeness as well exactly yeah I think it's all the same thing, really. I think we're all just, I think it's all the same, just different language. Like, Legacy obviously uses, like, more of a kind of, like, what what is it called? Like, it's like technology speech. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, mine comes from more of a, like, subcultural background of, like, being a rude boy. And then Bell Hooks is talking about talking back and, like, being out of place. And then, yeah, Sarah Ahmad's talking about, being at a dinner table <laughs> you know it's like all of these things are the same it's like maybe that's what home is yeah that's so interesting <laughs> maybe that's actually it because <laughs> I think we're all saying the same thing have been and will be doing but obviously the language has to change and yeah do you feel like is that who you've always been like mm. or is that something in terms of like thinking about rudeness, like were you always the person who spoke up at the dinner table and said something subversive or were you the person who couldn't and therefore hence the urgency to do it now? Yeah, I think so. I think it's the latter. But at the same time, you know, I like quietness. I like to be quietly rude. I think that that's 
something that is important for protection of the self. I think there's definitely been moments where I have ruined the dinner party. And guess what? It didn't make me feel very good. You know, it doesn't make me feel very nice uh, because it, uh, I think that rage and that fear, that not, not fear, the rage, anger uh, that we all hold within us. Uh, I learned early on that that was really painful for me. Um, and actually talking out and being loud about that didn't necessarily feel that good either because you're just going to come up against, you know, ops, <laughs> mm-hmm. ops and cops, um, which is really powerful But at some points. But, yeah, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. And I want to survive, you know. Mm. made me feel like I couldn't. So actually I think finding rudeness as a, a way of doing that, but just for me, not just for me, but like in this quiet way through the work, you know, speaking through the work and maybe ruining the dinner party from afar by being a picture on the wall of the dinner party, (laughs) (laughs) not necessarily being at it. (laughs) There's a lot of skill in like sort of sitting at the intersection of grace and rudeness. Fully, fully, fully. That's, that's the sweet spot in life, I think. Yeah. I love this the side eye you know this there's a secrecy in it and there's you know that's the ways in which like I can really have fun with that encoding different things in the work and there's definitely things in my images that you know speak to a more of a queer audience or speak to a black audience and you know a kind of like exists as codes that just speak to us you know Mm -hmm. just speak to different things and that's my way of like I think that holding that backstage moment for each other is where you can be rude and actually, yeah, save your energy. Do you know what I mean? For those mm. moments. Mm. Maybe that's a bit of a cop-out. I definitely would say that my bad experiences of, like, you know, speaking out online and people kicking off back and blah, 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 blah. It's, you know, it gets you down. It's not, it's awful. But I still, yeah, I think I've managed to find a way of getting that out in while still protecting myself yeah you touched a little bit on Britishness earlier and Mm. I wanted to talk a little bit about that because there is this really critical theme throughout the work of like nationhood and for me it's like it really relates to that idea of glitch like the querying Mm -hmm. of Britishness feels like what you are so seamlessly doing Mm -hmm. and I guess I'm curious you know how much of this for you is like rewriting what Britishness is by subverting it or world building Mm. or kind of imagining a new notion of Britishness how much of it is that for you I think the issue is saying that it's a new notion of it you know because it ain't because it's here Mm -hmm. you know it's not new it is Britishness because it just is it might not be what what we've been told is British but I'm British so (laughs) you know I'm not it's like everything's that by accident you know I only am I'm only and like glitching the thing by accident it's not my fault (laughs) yeah um but I think I just am like oh yeah okay let's well let's keep doing this yeah and get and I I don't know like make it's like what I said about when something is an image it maybe ceases to exist it's like okay well that's not what I want to happen we have to show that we exist in this I don't really know why though because I think I'm not trying to like 
I don't know. I think I just love the embarrassing these notions of like nationalism and patriotism. I love embarrassing them. And all I have to do is like was born to do that. It's not <laughs> hard to fucking do. <laughs> but I just like kind of take that and run with it. You know, there's like a quite a like a cheeky, naughty element to that, I think. Like, oh my god, how embarrassing for you. <laughs> yeah it is totally cheeky and naughty and subversive and playful it's like all that mm. good stuff and critical in yeah. in all of those ways but Absolutely. then where for me your work doesn't just stop there like where it has this sort of freedom which I guess to me feels new in the context of Britishness mm. is that mm. you take it beyond and in the most like I guess, free or like joyful images within that book. There's Mm. a sense of like, this is the new value system of Britishness. This is what Britishness could be. Yeah, that's nice. I think that that hits on like my obsession with subculture and looking at uh, subcultures like skinheads, who I believe was a utopia at some point. You know, that was a Britishness that I thought was beautiful and amazing. Mm. I guess for listeners... Uh, just to sum up like you know my my version of the skinhead is the original 1969 white working class West Indian like collaboration of music and history and clothes and um, like kind of shared oppression and making it into something that felt like maybe we could survive in this you know and then obviously that was not allowed to happen and very quickly got taken over by white supremacists and infiltrated by no surprise, you know, and I think that that is what I, yeah, have always been interested in these moments in British history where things could have worked and maybe there was a bit of a a moment for a second where it did work and there was some kind of harmony, but then that shifted. So I'm like, okay, wait, so how, wh- wh- how do we bring that forward? What was it about that that worked? Why did it stop? And how do we make sure it doesn't get stopped again? And I think that maybe, yeah, that is what, that's what I do with, that's what I'm attempting to do with showing, but also just recognising that, hey, it got my little utopia here. It doesn't always have to be so forward thinking, doesn't always have to be so imaginative. I do have a bit of a prop with like Afrofuturism sometimes because I'm like, why do I always have to be imagining it? Why does it always Mm. have to be the future? Why can't it just be this? And Mm -hmm. there is, it is, whilst all around us there's like you know it's like so my South London gallery show was called Upon This Rock which is the Peterborough motto which is where Peter or no Jesus says to Peter upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and it kind of feels like I got my church built here building it you know here and the gates of hell you know shall not prevail against it is like recognizing that okay there's a little utopia here yes there is hell all around it but how do we protect that and maybe that is yeah I guess my version of Britishness trying to protect that but who knows I mean it's getting harder and harder to like want to be connected to this country in any way (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely was your dad a skinhead or did I make that up yeah my dad was and is a black skin yeah which is why why I came to yeah that obsession because we don't have so much of a relationship to our St Lucian roots because of complications in my dad's upbringing and I kind of latched on to this identity of the skinhead as something that was my culture that I I can like 
live in and exist within so yeah that's why that's always been like the starting point of the work and that also then I think sparked the obsession with Britishness and not and how histories have been completely changed and like wiped out before we jump into some quick fire questions I just wanted to ask you one question about your relationship to the camera because it's interesting to also ask you this question in the context of where you're at and your practice because Mm -hmm. I'm really struck by your relationship to the camera and you talk about you know it not you not be a sort of quote-unquote like technical photographer but rather like the camera is this sort of talisman for your impulses and I love the way you talk about when the camera is present there's not really loneliness and I'd love to hear a little bit about your relationship to like the physical object of the camera and kind of how that bond shapes the work or shapes your life. It's really interesting because if I'm taking a camera out then I have to have a bag that fits the camera in it (laughs) like and you know that really dictates the way that I dress Mm -hmm. in you know, that dictates everything. That dictates the way that I'm moving around the world. And I just love it. It feels like, feels like when I've got my dog with me, (laughs) like this kind of comfort, this kind of thing to look after that maybe looks after you a bit more than you look after it. So that is growing and changing. And I think that that's why the images is changing too. It also means that I'm leaving it at home a lot more, which is, feels nice, feels different feels like weird because there's like I say it feels like when I don't have it it's just me it's just me Mm. experiencing something almost scary because it feels like I won't remember or that yeah there's like a frustration that I won't capture the thing or that something will pass me by or that I should have had my camera you know that would have been amazing picture but now I'm like just relaxing into being like that would have been a good picture and it is it's just that no one can see it <laughs> except for you you've got it in your mind exactly yeah but I love I love that girl I love that sweet little camera girl <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like any relationship um there's contention and it changes how do you deal with self-doubt I just I talk to my friends and I get them to shout at me about it and then I just kind of you know it's a bit silly it's a waste of my time I don't really have it just go to sleep get up the next day and just do it anyway (laughs) how has success changed your work it has meant that I have both less and more time to think about things so uh, I would say that I don't know because I don't know I guess like I I would like to ask the audience a question (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's just meant that I um, maybe I'm not as probably not as free in and I and I feel a lot more pressure if I'm honest to yeah not make mistakes and to keep producing something of worth and not everything has to be of worth I think and what does the practice of art making enable you to do that if you'd gone in a different career direction you wouldn't have access to I'm literally just being alive (laughs) it saved me since I was little so I uh, don't I don't I don't know it didn't have to be a career I suppose but I don't know what else I'd be able to do I honestly don't know I don't it's like honestly something that I just never want to think about I would find it in some kind of job I think but yeah just keeps me alive and is there anything you're currently unlearning 
oh god everything <laughs> constantly and learning everything and trying to relearn I think in the way that I deal with relationships and love and life yeah I only started therapy for the first time like last year which is absolutely ludicrous because I thought that art could be the thing forever <laughs> and then I figured out that actually maybe not maybe the work would get better if I already knew myself a bit more uh, before coming to the work so there's a lot of unlearning to do and I hope that it, yeah it continues it feels really hard work I'm 26 and I feel like that thing what's that thing that frontal lobe thing or whatever it is <laughs> it's coming in um and things get ser- getting serious uh and so yeah I'm learning everything I think <laughs> and this is a bit of a sort of vision into my utopian world but do you still think photographs can change the world Ooh, this is a big question that I've been thinking about recently I think it can change some worlds, small ones, but I don't know if it can change the world. I think it can be a, a trigger for other things. But in that same book that I was talking about, that I was reading, that I can't remember who the fuck wrote it, they were talking about how the image representation can, at the level of the image only works at that level. It doesn't move anything politically beyond that. Other things have to move like another it's like an image is a statement and then another statement has to be made afterwards you know Mm. Mm. so I think yes in some ways it's definitely changed my world (laughs) I think but it's like yes and but and what now and what's next you know but I think it can be a very useful tool in the in the culture that we live in especially in terms of yeah this culture of surveillance And then to finish up, I just wanted to ask you the question I ask everybody at the end of the show, and that's what matters more to you, the process of making the work or the final photograph? Definitely the process of making the work, for sure. The final photograph doesn't even need to exist, really. (laughs) I think. Thank you so much, Rini. You're welcome. For coming on the show. I feel like it's so special to me that like just the, you know, the impetus of this podcast was to have like complicated conversations about the different aspects that we don't talk about in practice so the very yeah. fact that you're in this changing state feels oh. really exciting and I feel yeah. really grateful to have talked to you so thank you so much for like being so candid with us no thank you I mean it's been weird like having the chapter show and doing having conversations with people about it that are like public conversations it's strange to have had a show and to have actually not really known what's going on but you know I'm learning what's going on after the fact of which Mm. is actually what always happens to be honest with work don't really know what's going on until it's up and out and you've given it away and then you're left without the distraction of making it (laughs) (laughs) and yeah so thank you for letting me yeah keep figuring this out thanks for listening to the messy truth you can find more information about today's guests in the show notes Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at...